Let's be a blessing to our community and just have a great one. Amen. Amen. Praise God. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> are you guys sure? I said, how are you guys doing today? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, let's get right into it. If you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to the book of uh, Luke chapter 18. Beginning from verse 18, and let's look at the message translation. Message translation. Thank you. Luke 18, 18 from the message translation. Last week, I began to speak to us about the laws of sowing and reaping. I said to you that God is not trying to raise cash, but he wants to raise people. And I said to you that giving is one of the, uh, not, not one of it, that giving is the most important thing you can do to demonstrate the love of God to your family, to God himself, and to the body of Christ at large. And so this morning, I just want to go a little deeper. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, in the message translation. One day, one of the local officials asked him, good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. Now we know that the Bible says that in Romans, in the book of Romans itself, that no one is good, no, no one. But, but God is good anyway. Verse 20, you know the commandments, don't you? No illicit sex, no killing, no stealing, no lying, Honor your father and mother. He said, I have kept all for as long as I can remember. When Jesus heard that, he said, then there's only one thing left to do. Say only one thing. It's not much, just one. Sell everything you own and give it away to the poor. You have riches in heaven then come follow me. <laughs> Last Wednesday in the life group, yes. this was the main topic. Yeah. And the point that was being made was, this is a game changer. This is a game stopper. That when we hear this notion of a demand being placed on us, to sell everything or perhaps to give away everything, that that's a really, really tough cookie, cookie or tough uh, uh, thing to overcome. So now, let's go to the next verse. This was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. The comment from last Wednesday was, not only was the official terribly sad, but those of us that are hearing it right now, we are terribly afraid. <laughs> Hallelujah. And for full disclosure, just as we were discussing on Wednesday night, even for me, this is a huge challenge. I have never, well, not, not, I have not gotten to that place in my work with God where I have done this. But 
I know of several other men and women of God who have worked with God enough that they have done exactly what Jesus said to do. My friends, there is a place in God where you and I come to a, uh, a condition, a state, a realm of total, absolute, complete trust in who God is. And hopefully that's where all of us want to go. I know for a fact that's where I want to go. I, went to get, I want to get to that place where if God tells me to do anything, I don't need to hear twice. John Avancini, a very famous, high-profile preacher who is known very well for preaching principles of finance, prosperity. He gave this testimony once. I was in the service when he was giving it. He was a struggling preacher for a long time. Struggling, just barely get 50 people together. Struggling. So the height of his success for him was the day he finally was able to muster enough money to buy him a Lincoln town car. Ah, he said, finally that day, he said, God, I've arrived. Thank you, Jesus. I'm delivered from riding motorcycles and uh, these compact four-door sedans. Now I'm promoted to luxury. Has everybody been in Lincoln Tanker? That is smooth. There's a reason they use it for limo. You ride in that thing, man. All the bumps in the road, it just swallows it up. And it just moves on. So this man of God said, man, he said, I've arrived. Praise God. Finally, after all these years of preaching. And here comes this missionary from India. Sitting in the congregation this particular Sunday morning. About three weeks into his new Lincoln Town car. He finished preaching. He made the altar call. And God said, now, John, the car you are driving, I actually bought it for the missionary. <laughs> Immediately after this service, give the key to him and send him on his way. This man of God said, well, this man of God felt like this certain ruler. <laughs> he said he felt terribly sad. That, whoa, I thought I had arrived. But he obeyed God, he gave the car away. And he went on to tell the story that for the next four cars, next four Lincolns that he had, God did not let him keep any of them. He bought them, and shortly after, God would send somebody else and said, that's their car. After he's given away five of them, he finally bought another one. And he said to us, he said, from that day forward, the breakthrough is prayed for, the fasting is done for breakthrough, it began to happen sweatlessly. Why? Because God said, John, now I can trust you with my resources. Now, you know, it's one thing when you hear preachers preach from the pulpit and tell these stories. It's another thing when you get the opportunity to be with them, closing. John Avancinin came to a church that I was a part of years ago. And I will never forget this as long as I live. Because you see these men from the platform, they're preaching to thousands of people, they're telling all these stories. 
And really, there is no way you can verify if those stories are true, if some of these guys are not truthful. But it was an evening service that night in Littlebourne. And Pastor John had just finished preaching, and I will never forget it. I was an elder in the church. He walked to me. Uh, my daughter was still very young then. Uh, he saw her with me. He said, this is your daughter? I said, yes. And he said to me, there's a grace of God upon her life. And I put in my hand $500 to give to her. Yes. Now, why am I sharing that? I'm sharing it to let you know that generosity and a lifestyle of giving is not just what you do when you are in the public arena. Now, he may, he may not even remember he did it. He may never remember he did it. Another occasion where I had to be in a car to drive him to the airport, totally different setting, different place. Uh, I was just like a PA. I was not a the driver. There was a driver. He's sitting in the car, and I'm sitting next to him. All of this because of the ministry that I was attached with and working with. Just to carry his back, to go to the airport. We got there, he got out of the car, he leaned over and put $100 in my hand. Now I'm talking about years ago. This, this, this one I'm sharing with him is years ago. But I'm sharing that so you understand that what we are talking about is not just a giving that you do because you are in church. God is not trying to be a fundraiser. I'm telling you. He's trying to raise you. He's trying to develop in you character. He's looking for men and women that is when he has when there's a need, he can place a demand on the deposit is made in you and say, Greg, there's a need in Rachel's life. What I've given to you, I've set some aside so you can be a blessing. Show my love to Rachel by what I've put in your pocket. It's counting on us. So in this story, this certain ruler was terribly sad. Please go back to verse 22. Let me show you what he missed. Verse 22. Thank you. The last sentence in Jesus' instruction. Okay, let me just read the whole thing. When Jesus heard that, he said, then there's only one thing left to do. Sell everything you own and give it away to the poor. That's all he got heard. He didn't hear the rest of the sentence. You will have riches in heaven. Do you want to be earthly rich and heavenly poor? Because when you withhold, that's the consequence. Oh, there's another passage. In the scriptures, the rich man that the Bible said was dressed in purple. And Lazarus, who lived meagerly as a poor beggar. And the Bible describes how this Lazarus could only eat the crumbs that dogs have left over. While the rich man who dressed in purple had all his needs met, but never cared about the surrounding and people around him. 
that passage, the Bible says they both died. The rich one found himself in hell where he lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus. Ah, and he was wondering, Lazarus, this poor beggar, you are in heaven? How did you make it here? Lazarus was resting in Abraham's bosom. He didn't have much when he was alive. But there was treasures waiting for him in heaven. And that's what God is trying to get across to us. This man did not catch the whole message. You will have riches in heaven. My friend, now, in this life, in this time, is the only chance to get to sow for riches in heaven. When you close your eyes, it's too late. And it's not a one-time sowing. It's a lifestyle of sowing. So that's one thing he missed. But the other thing he really missed is the next sentence. Then come, follow me. Think about this. If you were to give away everything you had according to Jesus' instruction. Now, mind you, he was not reading this revelation. Jesus was speaking to him. He had the privilege of the proximity of Jesus, the Son of God, engaging with him in a conversation. You have to ask yourself the question. First of all, why did he come to Jesus? What did he see or what has he heard about Jesus that prompted him to come to him to begin with? Obviously, he must have heard of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the manifestations of the power of God that was taking place in his life. Come on, man. Are you guys here this morning? Yes. Just, I mean, he didn't go to uh, Zacchaeus. He, didn't go, he went to Jesus. So he must have heard something sufficient to say, you know what? Let, let me talk to this man. So if he actually gave away everything as Jesus told him to, this same Jesus said, come follow me. In other words, the assurance of your welfare is built in the come, follow me. Because if I'm following you, Jesus, and I have need, I can say to your God, Jesus, you are the one that told me to give it all away. It's not as if Jesus said, give it away, and then I'm going to check out and go somewhere else. No, no, come follow me. Be at close proximity to me. Because on a daily basis, when you have needs, you can remind me, Jesus, I gave it away like you said. That's why I don't have bread now. Am I going to eat today? He missed all of that. And that's why I said to you guys last week, the foundation to everything we are talking about is a vibrant, intimate relationship with God. We are not just talking about writing a check or giving money. No, I'm talking about you and I having a relationship that is vibrant and intimate. Because in that intimacy, trust is built. Trust is built. So this man went away terribly sad. Father, I pray for every one of us that whatever the price you are asking of us, we've received that grace for that price so that we will not hold back and we will begin to grow and develop and you will become vessels that you can trust 
so that your resource will come to us and flow through us to build your kingdom, to glorify you, to magnify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So he was sorrowful. He won't do it. Now, go now to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Verse 41. Mark 12, 41. Give it to me in the New King James place. No, actually, okay, leave it like that. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Mark 12, 41. Sitting across from the offering box. Now, so you know, Jesus is watching your offering. I just read it to you. He was in the synagogue. Okay? Sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the crowd tossed money in for collection. So he's giving you $10,000 bonus last week and he's observing how you tip him with 10 bucks. He's taking note of that. Hello! <laughs> Are that true? Talk to me again. Talk to me. <laughs> Many of the rich were making large contributions. Go ahead. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Now, you must understand what widows were in Israel. To be a widow was to become very vulnerable. They were weak. They were vulnerable. They depended, depended on the charity of others to survive. For which God had to write certain things in the scriptures for the proper care of widows so that their needs will be met. Next verse. Jesus called his disciples over and said, the truth is that this poor widow Give more to the collection than all the others put together. Oh man, you, you know, you didn't get it. In a congregation where all of you are making big money, real estate gurus, and all of these wonderful jobs that you guys have, everybody gave. And the poor widow just, I don't know how long it took her to get there, just managed. Finally, it was her turn, and she put in her two minds. So much so, it caught Jesus' attention. When was the last time that you and I gave that heaven took notice? Serious. Jesus stops and says, not only did he take notice, he called his disciples, you guys have got to see this. I've been seen giving, I've not seen nothing like this. Watch what happened. Next verse. All of the others gave what they'll never miss. That's the point. That is giving based on convenience. Giving based on mammon. And I'm going to address that in a minute. They are giving what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. <laughs> she gave 
her all. It goes back to our friend, our certain, rich, our certain ruler, who could not give all. Remember? We just read in Luke 18. He couldn't give all. Mind you, it's a ruler. Which means he had authority, he had influence. If he gave it all now, even if he didn't follow Jesus, his influence could have brought him more goods. Yet this woman who's vulnerable, the Bible says she gave what she couldn't afford. She gave it all. What's the difference between these two people? What's the difference between the certain ruler and the widow? The difference is very simple. The difference is just one word. Trust. Trust. The widow was willing to entrust her future to Jesus. The certain ruler was willing to be in charge of his own future. Mammon. Are you guys getting it? One was willing to ensure his future. He said, God, I'm vulnerable. I'm poor. I have no one. But one with you is more than the majority. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. The ruler, in the meantime, I'm sure he was taking inventory in his head. Maserati, ah, <laughs> Bentley, 80-inch flat TV screen. God knows how many castles in the city, in a village, vacation homes, winter homes. I sell all. Does this rabbi know what he's talking about? Forgetting that the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. And they and all that is therein. He owns it all. All silver, all gold. The Bible says it belongs unto God. Yes. The Bible goes on to say that he's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. What do we have that he has not given us? What is it that we have? That he didn't give us to begin with. Folks, please hear me. We were talking on Wednesday and, and there was this discussion. Somebody say, uh, you know, are we trying to raise money for the church? I said, no, 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 no. That's not the issue. No, no, no. This is not about church. This is about us. God wants to raise us. It's not about giving to a building. No. God wants to develop us. He wants to grow us. He wants to raise us. And as we saw last week, Money is the lowest point of trust in the kingdom of God. The Bible makes it very clear. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Uh, let's read in the NKJV from verse 1. Luke 16 verse 1. Praise God. The issue is trust, my friend. Trust. How willing am I to trust God? There's a contention for trust. And I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. 
It got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. Go on. Actually, can you give it, can you give it to me in NKJV, please? This is also very correct, very accurate. It's just that it's more lengthy here than NKJV. New King James. NKJV. Thank you very much. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer steward. We addressed this last week that all of us are stewards before God. He owns everything. We manage for him. And therefore, he has the final authority. He has the final trace of. He's entrusted to us his riches. Verse 3. Then the steward said with him, sir, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Next verse. I have resolved what to do. That when I'm put out of the stewardship, when I lose my position, they may receive me into their houses. Go on, go on, just go on. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Okay, next one. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. <laughs> this guy was giving discounts of something he did not own. <laughs> okay. You know, you know what's so funny? It's always easier to give away somebody else's money. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> if you take your kids to the store, and say, okay, uh, some sneakers. Uh, some, get you a pair of sneakers. Watch what they pick. They're going to pick the priciest sneakers on the shelf. Because what? That is pain. When the little joker has a job at McDonald's. <laughs> and he gets his one or two pages. Uh, go back to that same store. So some pick up the shoe. He's going to find the cheapest thing they can find. <laughs> Why? Because he's now having to pay. So this steward here find it so convenient to discount his master's goods because it's not his own, his own goods. Read on. So now, verse 8. So they, now watch this. This is really where I'm going. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of the light. Now, let's, let's take a pause right there. Is Jesus saying that this unjust steward should be commended for his fraudulent act? No. No. Give me the passion translation for that verse. Thank you. Passion translation. Reggie, I sent that to you guys last week. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I, J, K, L. Thank you, Reggie. 
miracle just happened. <laughs> From we didn't have it till it shows up on the screen. <laughs> Hallelujah for miracles. Amen. <laughs> this is the passion translation of the same verse. Even though his master was defrauded, when he found out about the shrewd way this manager had feathered his own nest, <laughs> he congratulated the clever scoundrel <laughs> for what he had done to lay up his future needs. You see the sudden doula of Luke 18. To whom Jesus offered, you will have riches in heaven. Come and follow me. And he didn't pay any attention to that. Jesus is saying, for this scoundrel, yes, he's a thief. But we must commend the fact at least his future thinking. <laughs> in other words, he was not just living for the present, which is where all of us get hung up. He had enough sense to know there's a future coming and that today is the only day you can invest in your future. That's what Jesus was commending. Every opportunity you and I get to give, to be a blessing, to share from what God has given us, it's an investment in your future. Every moment. Not, listen, I'm not saying this, giving this message, message for a one-time deal. No. We are trying to develop people of generosity. People who will say, God, you've empowered me. You've placed your resources in my hands. You've given me substance. And therefore, I'm looking for ways and means not only to bless the house where I partake, where I eat, where I'm fed, but also to see how I can communicate what you've given me to others so that they can also enjoy the same grace I'm enjoying. Future. Jesus said, whoa! This scoundrel, this unjust steward, has enough sense left to at least think about his future. Can I ask you this morning, are you thinking about your future? Because your checkbook will tell us if you're thinking about your future. Are you hearing this message this morning? And I'm saying it again and again and again. God is not looking to raise money. He's looking to, he's looking to raise people. Because the people he raises are the people he can use to be a blessing to others. But that will only happen to the degree that you and I pass the money test. Go back to Luke chapter 16. And in the end, KJV. Thank you, Reggie. You found the TPT. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Verse 9. Verse 9. And I said to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon that you may that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Do we have Revelation? Do we have that in the TPR? That verse? Was it, were there two verses? Yeah, but verse 4, same chapter. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least. This is the huge issue. He 
who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Next verse. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, last week we covered this a little bit and we said to you that being faithful in the least qualifies us to being over the much. And the least here, from the context of the passage, is money. Money is the least. It is the least because that's something all of us interact with every day of our lives. You either are going from paying one bill to paying another one. That's your life. You pay mortgage this month, it's waiting for you again next month. It never finishes. And when that finishes, your kids are in college. You pay tuition this semester, you pay another one next semester. And when that's done, you get out of here, you get in your car, you're going to need, need gas to get home, gas to get to work, gas to get in the marketplace. And after that's done, unless you are fasting for the rest of your life, you need money to go to the grocery store. So we are forever interacting with money. So God said this is a common leveler. Everybody needs money. Everybody interacts with money. So money will be the most common factor in my kingdom. And if you want to heal cancer, it's available. If you want to eat, heal the blind and open the blind, it's available. Oh, if you want favor, it's available. If you want 19 children by miracle, it's available. All of this is our game, they're available, but I will only test your suitability by how you handle money. If you don't pass the money test, please don't pray for cancer. You don't have faith for it. God is not withholding the back from you. He's saying, if you cannot trust me with $5, $10, $100, you will never trust me for cancer. Please go to the finest hospital in the United States. Because cancer will not go. You don't have faith for it. I'm not withholding it from you, but you are demonstrating every day by how you respond to money that you are not ready. So if you get sick, Drink Tylenol, drink uh, concussion, find a herbalist, find anything, just because God is not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, now, let's deal with this verse 11. What is mammon? What exactly is mammon? Let me tell, tell you what mammon is. Mammon is a demonic spirit that is pervasive and subtle. And it can be difficult to detect unless we remain vigilant against it. This spirit is attached to money. And its singular purpose is to try to persuade us to trust money than God. It's singular purpose. It's to try to convince and, and persuade us that your work, your business, 
your earnings, your income is more trustworthy for your future than God. Ah, you're not hearing me. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Mammon is trying to convince you that going to work tomorrow, Monday to Friday, doing business tomorrow, Monday to Friday, stock market, and all of this is that that is your future. Wealth and riches cannot buy healing, deliverance, grace, or any other blessings from God. Hear this if you don't hear anything else that I'm going to say today. Trust is the currency of the kingdom. Whether or not we are trustworthy is demonstrated in how we handle money. Which God considers the least important thing. So you and I are always choosing to either let the spirit of mammon dictate what we do with money or allow the spirit of God to always tell us how to manage it. Now this is the key. This way is so subtle. If we fail to make a choice by default, the spirit of mammon will govern us in this area. Therefore, we must be careful what spirit influences us when it comes to the financial realm. Are you hearing me? So mammon has a singular purpose of taking the place of God when it comes to trust in our future. Now, let me give you very quickly those of you that have heard us say, well, how, how do I recognize if my money is functioning in my life? I want to help you this morning. I want to help unmask that spirit in all of our lives. And by the way, just, just so you know, uh, the spirit of mammon is not just something that you overcome one time and, and it's gone forever. No. Every time the issue of money comes up, mammon, mammon is present. It's not up to you to decide. Am I going to follow mammon or am I going to follow the spirit of God? Did I say that too fast? Okay, let me repeat that. Every time the issue of money comes up, whether in your household, in a church gathering, in a fellowship, or where it relates to being a blessing to a brother or a sister, anytime money comes up, my mom is standing right there. I say, okay, okay, now, please, listen to me, 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 listen to me. I got a plan, I got a plan, I got a plan. My plan does not include your future, but I'll deceive you. Mammon is always going to be present. And it's always going to tell you one thing. Don't give it. Don't bless it. Hold on to it. You're going to need it tomorrow. Always. Always. How do I know if this spirit is operating in my life right now? Number one. If you have anxiety or worry over unmet needs, you have already welcomed mammon. If you have anxiety or worry over unmet needs. Now, the reason this spirit is, is subtle, a person that's under the influence of mammon does not behave in a way that uh, we, like they have fork on their head and they have vampire teeth. That, that's, that, that's, that's not what happens. They are normal human beings like you and I. Sitting right now under the sound of my voice, and today's October the 14th, 
and already they are already sleepless about what will happen at the end of this month. Today is the 14th. The bills are not due until October 30. They are already fighting their husband, they are fighting their wives, they are already complaining to their children, their brothers and sisters. They are already fretting. Fret, 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 fret. Why? Oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the money. That is my money. You are under the influence of mama. Yeah. It doesn't matter who, who, who does that. Listen, I've been there. And there are times when I am like that. But I'm saying to you, it is your wrong spirit. It's not the spirit of God. Yeah. And because you are not there now, does not mean mama will not be there tomorrow to take you there. He does not give up. That is his job. That is his assignment. And it doesn't matter who you are. His assignment is to make sure you put your trust on him, which is your money, your resources, your wealth, versus putting your trust on God. So the first sign that mammon is operation is you are fretting and worrying over an unmet need. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Now, when the apostle said that, did he know you ever going to have a need? Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let's, let your request be made unto God. So he's aware that we're going to have needs. What he does not want is me and you fretting over the needs before the due date. How are you going to hold God responsible for something that's not happened? The bill is due on the, on the, on the end, at the end of the month, October 30th. And you're already accusing God October 14th? What sense does that make? They came to Jesus. It was time to pay taxes. They said, oh, Master, RIS is looming. What, what are we going to do? He said, go to the river. The first fish you catch, open the mouth. You have enough to pay no only Caesar, your needs are met. End of story. The bill was paid when due, not before. Listen, you must understand the wisdom of God. Because we see in part, we wonder, is God hearing? Has he left us? God is a God of all wisdom. Brother Joseph, there are times when God may place the seed to pay your bill at the end of the month in your, mouth, in, your, in your hand now and you find other things to use the thing for. Does it happen? When we misapply what's in our hand towards something else. So God said, no, I won't, I won't do it before time. I'll just be on time. So if you are fretting over an omit, omit, uh, uh, need, that's number one. Number two, if you have fear about your future, mama's got you. It's got you. Because Matthew 6, 33, 34 says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things can be added. Psalms 104, verse 28, in Amplified, the same thing. So number one, anxiety. Number two, fear about the future. Number three, spirit of mammon works well in unbelief. So if you have unbelief in any area of your life, 
Mammon is already your roommate. Number four, if you have the fear of giving, you're in a service, you're in a place, and the issue of money raises up or is talked about, they say, now we're going to receive an offering, and your heart just says, eh, offering time. We thought you have a heart attack. We don't know. Is it is the, the money attack that's coming? <laughs> ah! Now, listen. I understand that we have ministries and preachers who have uh, bastardized the issue of giving. I understand that. And yes, we must be as wise as serpents and harmless as those. If you're ever in an area, in an environment where people start uh, receiving uh, uh, all kinds of various crazy, unbiblical offerings, then of course, you need to be wise. Uh, a person long time ago tried to do that in this church, and I got up and stopped them. Because as a shepherd, we have the uh, responsibility to make sure that we do not expose the sheep. I stopped them right in the middle of it. So that's not the issue. That's not what I'm talking about here. But where you're given an opportunity to be a blessing, and once you hear, maybe because you have a need, you have, there's a lack in your life, and you just get terribly sad. <laughs> Understand that that sadness is mammon-induced. That is mammon-induced. And then number five, if you ever deride trusting God, if you deride it, you trivialize it, that's mammon. And number six, determining your success by how much money you are making, you are totally miss. You are, so, oh my gosh. You are way off. That's my man. Big time. Big time. And lastly, number seven, if you are living as consumers and not stewards. If you are living as consumers and not stewards. So in closing, let me just give one, oh my God. Run out of clock? Oh, okay. Let, let me just give one scripture and then we, and then we, we close. We pray. First Kings chapter 17. First Kings 17. Thank you. Uh, what verse? Okay, let, let me find a verse. I don't want all of that passage. First Kings 17. This is Elijah and the woman. Okay, Elijah in verse 8. 1 Kings 17, 8. Thank you. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this is Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, isn't this amazing? I just told you about widows. They are weak. They are vulnerable. They have no one to take care of them. God had Elijah before this time at the brook of Kerith. And the brook dried up. And now God said to him, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, outside of Israel, and dwell there. And see, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Hear this. Not only with this widow 
give Elijah food to eat on a day-to-day basis, but the command here was he was to dwell there. Don't miss that. So a widow who is vulnerable, who is weak, now has to take on added responsibility. Not just for one uh, Whopper or Big Mac. This is for as long as the prophet stays there. Go ahead. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little jar, a little cup, a little water in a cup that I may drink. Not bad, okay. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, oh, by the way, why are you fetching the water? Please bring a morsel of bread in your hand. <laughs> so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's how death spirit her situation is. The last meal, she said, this is it. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Notice. Notice what he said, do not fear. In other words, don't listen to mammon. Because now, widow, from what you just said to me, your future is hopeless. You are going to eat and die. No future. But he now said to her, do not fear. Why? Mammon is the only one that operates in fear. Don't fear. And do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Don't miss that part. He's not just asking for a cake. I want the first one. Oh my God. That's another message by itself. See, we are not asking to just give God anything. We are asking to prioritize God. Amen. Let him be first in order of your priority. Not your mortgage, not your American Express, not Macy's, not Publix. Let God be priority. Because he's the only one that can cancel the debt that you're under and give you favor that you don't deserve. And bring it to me. And oh my God. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. I can just imagine right now Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. Hey, preacher! Takes away the widow's last meal. <laughs> Social media will be busy. Hey, they'll just be talking nonsense. The widow who was about to die after the last meal, the preacher has taken away her meal. <laughs> Maybe the Senate should investigate this preacher. <laughs> Breaking news. Charlatan preachers at it again. <laughs> yeah. Next verse.
For thus says the Lord God of Israel. In other words, I'm coming with you with authority. What I'm saying to you, I didn't make it up. I'm speaking to you from the point of intimacy. I know this God. He's a God that says and does not change. He's a God that rules and does not fall. He's a God who is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that should repent. Has he not said it? Will not do it. Hallelujah. Oh my God. I'm not just talking. I'm telling you about a God that I know. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bean of flour shall not be used up. Nor the jar of oil run dry. Until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. Take my word to the bank. God has not said it and ever failed. He has a proven track record. He, will, he didn't fail then. He's not going to fail now. He will not fail your future. Yeah. Hallelujah. Please read on. I know we went a little beyond time today. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. Oh, I thank God for this widow. Trust. And she and her household ate for many days. Her story changed. But her story only changed because she changed. Do you want your story to change? Get on board with God. Amen. Get on board with God. Now, I, I know time is gone. Scroll over. Let me show you what this setup is all about. Go to verse 17. Oh, next verse. Why did God, don't miss this, why did God send Elijah to this widow? Why? Because God saw in the future a need that would be in that widow's life. And the widow needed to invest and sow the seed today for that future need. When God is asking you to give now, you are struggling. Ah, fear has gripped you. You are terribly sad. You, you, you lose your countenance. You, you, you are beautiful when you came in, but you look ugly while you are going Not knowing that God is setting up your future. Watch this. Night happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring sin, my sin to my remembrance and to kill my son? Next verse. And he said to her, give me your, give me your son. So he took him out of her hands and arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Go ahead. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord my God, have you brought also tragedy unto the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. God saw death in this widow's future. And said, so a seed now to reverse that death. 
And she sowed the seed. And when death came, God reversed it. What death does God want to reverse in your future now? Is it a death of your business? Is it a death of a promotion? Is it a death of a dream? Is it a death of family relationships? Is it a sickness? What do you need God to reverse for which you must honor God with the first of his substance? He wants to raise you above living a mega low life that was only concerned with the present but also sees the future. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that no one in our midst having heard your word will remain the same. God, you are the one that gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So I'm thinking now that for those who do not have anything, you've already supplied seed to them. And for those of us to whom you've been, we've, we've been empowered, that we will not allow the fears of this world and the cares of the present moment to impede and create a barrier for us not seeing our future. Lord, we are trusting you. You are the Lord God of heaven. You are the one that sent your son Jesus to redeem us, to, to pay the price in full to save us. And so, Lord, we cast our cares for our life, our families, our homes, our businesses, our ministries. We cast all of our cares onto you. And we are trusting you that you that has begun a good work in us, you are able to finish and to perfect it. And so, Lord, we move from the category of stingy, unthankful human beings and we move over to people of God who are generous and who give cheerfully and hilariously and we thank you that all of our needs are met beyond and above that which we can think or ask according to the power of God that's at work. Thank you Father God every need is met in this house we thank you that every death that have been placed in our future is reversed in the name of Jesus. We reverse every barrenness. We reverse every unfruitfulness. We reverse every death in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.